0: This is the IRCB, I Read Comic Books Podcast, and we're doing a special mini-sode today. I don't know which number mini Sorry, Mike, I f- totally forgot. But it doesn't matter. Uh, my name is Paul Jaceley, I'm your host for today's episode, joined by the one and only, the infamous, the immortal, Mike Rappin. Hello, this is Hello, my Mike. show. What are you doing, Paul? <laughs> we're switching it up, <laughs> Flania. Like we said, it's a brand new show after episode 300, you never know what's going to happen. So we are... We are here doing, uh, again, a special mini-sode. It's a topic that I proposed to Mike, and I'm excited to talk about about it with him today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the documentary that came out in 2014, entitled Future Shock, The Story of 2000 AD, directed by Paul Goodwin. I noticed that this popped up on Hoopla a couple months ago, and I was very excited to watch it. I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. it. I wanted to talk about it with somebody for the show, but I didn't think it really warranted a whole IRCB Movie Club episode. Yeah. So we're just going to do it today as a mini-sode. I think there's a lot to discuss, and uh, I guess I'll throw it over to you, Mike. What's your initial uh, reaction to this documentary about the legendary comic, 2000
1: AD? I I was absolutely floored by how much I didn't know about mm. 2000 AD. I'll just say that like right from the sure. get go. You know, I, I always thought 2000 AD was a really interesting thing. Um and I knew that it was a magazine that had been around for a while, but I didn't know just why it had come to be. And sure. so getting the history in this documentary was absolutely fascinating. It made me feel like there's a chunk of comics history that I need to know more about and this this documentary just scratched the surface.
0: Yeah. Cool. I guess very briefly, obviously we're talking about a documentary, so we can't really do any spoilers, but uh, I will say it's well worth a watch if you have not seen it. If you have Hoopla, it's there for free to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think very briefly, maybe we could talk about what 2008 D is for anyone who might not know. 2008 D is a long running British, a weekly anthology comic. It was started back in 1977, still around today. So we're celebrating the 45th anniversary, you know, uh, in 2022 of 2008 D. Nice. Um, and uh, it is best known at this point for being the comic that features Judge Dredd, but it's a lot more than that. Um, and I think the documentary does a good job explaining the history of the British comic books industry. Um, and 2000 D is certainly a part of that because it grew out of a need for a, as they put it, a quote unquote, boys comic uh, to attract young uh, adolescent readers. Uh, it had a sci-fi theme because Star Wars was so big at the time. But it became a place for creators to kind of push their limits, push the boundaries of maybe good taste at times um, and storytelling capabilities of a sort of weekly anthology type series. And of course, having Judge Dredd as the main character certainly helped because Judge Dredd became a huge phenomenon, still going to this day. Everyone loves Judge Dredd. Yeah. But again, I think that was so interesting about the documentary is that as throughout, as they're interviewing people in the doc who both worked at 2000 AD and read the comic, you get a who's who of the British comic book scene. It's basically every British comic creator you can think of, uh, probably worked for 2000 AD and wrote something or drew something for it at some time. It's pretty remarkable
1: yeah. the list of names that show up in this doc. Yeah, I was I was absolutely floored. Just and it seems like <laughs> to me, like every single British author or, or artist that you know has touched 2000 AD in some capacity. <laughs> yeah. Whether it was you know to get their start or maybe they came back and they had an idea that could only be done in 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. I mean. The thing that I I found the most interesting about all of that was every single creator, I think, said these were stories that you couldn't do anywhere else. And it's not like in a like an avatar press. I have to self-publish this or I have to do something. It's really gross and gore. It's like, no, the theme and the feel of 2000 AD is very much these types of story. Really, really violent, really short, really in your face with the with the subtlety which is kind of an <laughs> anachronistic way of describing it yeah, but yeah, like yeah. there's always an extra context to almost every story you know yes and I really love the way that all the authors and creators were just like I couldn't have done this story anywhere else if I wanted to <laughs> um, I mean at one point in the story, or at one point in the documentary, like someone says, you know, I could have taken this to image, I could have taken this somewhere else, but it makes the most sense at 2000 AD, and that's that's the thing that I really respected. I learned to respect uh, by the end of the doc is how much these people saw 2000 AD as a truly independent entity that needed a certain type of story, and that was fantastic yeah. to me.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that really comes through the idea of 2000 AD not just being a name of a comic or an institution in comics, but it's. It represents an attitude at a certain point, you know, and they're talking, they're interviewing musicians who aren't even comic creators. They said, well, yeah. I read 2008 AD as a kid and I brought that to my music because it represented rebellion and giving the middle finger to the authority, you uh-huh. know, challenging assumptions. And that's something really special about a magazine that – They make this point in the documentary, which I love. Again, they found it, uh, the publisher Fleetway founded it in 1977, and they named it 2000 AD because they figured there's no way this book is going to be around 23 years later. (laughs) Here we (laughs) are, you know, 45 years later. And the name sounds like, like you said, anachronistic because it's, you know, that was 22 years ago, 2000 AD. So, Mm -hmm. but again, the idea of that rebellious spirit still being a part of the book is really, really interesting. And that's, yeah. So it's almost more than just a comic book you know, it's more than just a publication. It's a whole attitude. And I really loved that about it. It does remind me of punk rock and music in that way, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, like one of my first notes, I think that I wrote after I wrote a bunch of live notes and then I tried to like, you know, actually come up with a coherent response to this thing. Uh, I mean, like the the documentary itself felt like what I think the magazine is trying to portray this very fuck you punk rock. Like, we're not going to do this typical thing. We're not going to do this other typical thing. I mean, to talk about the, the movie for a second, though, mm-hmm. I, can we can we get on the animation? Whoever The animation <laughs> team that they credited at the beginning and the end of this movie where yeah. they took stills from the different comics to like scene transition things. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely fantastic. And I love the interjection of like punk and metal music instead of your traditional like anything else literally anything else would have (laughs) not fit but to see like the the dude from anthrax what's his name in the movie oh yeah scott uh, ian Yeah, yeah scott ian shows up like it's so it's so astounding to see like Every single person who shows up for this doc, you go, no, 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 that totally makes sense. If they're not a comic (laughs) creator, it's like, no, no, that makes sense. All this tracks.
0: Yeah. You know, there is something about that that's really interesting. And again, I think the movie, I I guess maybe one criticism I have the documentary is that they have a lot of years to cover, which I totally understand. But I think at times it would have benefited for maybe a narrator or maybe a little more context for some of the stuff because it really just is interviews. The interviews are amazing, but... I feel like there's little details maybe slips through the crack. If you know nothing about 2000 AD at all and you watch it, you might get lost at points. But what comes through is the com, the passion that people have for it. And I think right off the bat, they talk about the founding of the book. They talk to Pat Mills, who – Pat Mills probably say, had no problem. He Once the camera started rolling, he had no problem talking. Pat Mills yeah. really liked to talk about how important say, he was and how important 2008
1: was <laughs> honestly pat mills was the narrator for the movie like right. yeah. they didn't have one but like he could have. like every beat every single second of everything that the, everybody was talking about pat yeah. mills had a moment and had something to say i mean founding editor you know he's been yeah, the editor course. continues to be editor that makes sense but at the yeah. same time like i think it's <laughs> even noted out in the documentary people are just like pat will fucking talk <laughs>
0: <laughs> pat loved it. there was i know and he's so interesting and like What's great is that I know a lot of these names from reading 2000 D and even reading other comics, but actually see them speaking, that's mm-hmm. really special. And I think that's it's always great to see comic book creators in their element, being passionate and talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. So seeing Pat Mills being animated and seeing his his whole driving force was to be, you know, throwing wrenches in the in the works like he really hated the conservative government in england in the late 70s and he wanted to put that <laughs> into a comic yeah. and they show the so before 2000 ad he did a book called action which was like these violent stories aimed at a teenage or like younger readers and they show like one of the covers of action like the issue that got action banned and it's fucking wild it's like this drawing yeah. that carlos esguera did of this kid it's like this this big uh, group of kids, and there's one kid in the foreground, and he's swinging a bike chain around his head, and there's mm-hmm. a guy cowering in fear, like an adult cowering in fear in front of him. It looks – I'm like, I cannot believe that was even published. Today, to think about that, but in the 70s, like anything went, I guess. It's yeah. fucking wild. And that attitude is what Pat Mills brought to 2000 AD. And, and there's even a point where he said he felt bad that he had to use science fiction – as a metaphor, he just wanted to do stories that were pushing buttons and pushing social right. issues. He could do it with science fiction, but felt like a um, a retreat, a step back to having used metaphors right. instead of just doing it up front, you know?
1: Well, I mean, it was to the point where they had they showed a clip of a comic where they were like, yeah, we want Margaret Thatcher walking down the stairs and then she gets gunned down like, yeah what like you can <laughs> right. do that in a comic book the answer is no you fucking can't but like <laughs> right. they were definitely willing to try it to see how push how far they could push the bounds because they they <laughs> talked about you know at one point about how they still had to deal with censors and they had to deal yeah. with people reviewing their books before they could put them on the shelves and you know it seemed like with action before 2000 AD they were really yeah. trying to push things as far as they possibly could
0: absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. And being able to say instead, like, oh, that's not actually the Russians assassinating Margaret Thatcher. It's this alien race that just happened right, to right. look like Russia. You know what I mean? It's like you're using science fiction as the, the, the most basic way to do metaphor. And I do think, you know, as much as Pat Mills initially didn't like that, it works in the, in the magazine's benefit. Like when they start to – obviously, they spend a lot of time talking about Judge Dredd because he's the most famous character. But they really hammer home that point. It's like what makes Dread great is Dread is social commentary dread is the thing that he's criticizing Mm -hmm, so it makes mm it you want to root for judge dread and he thinks a cool character at the same time you actually shouldn't root for him he's a terrible character right he's a terrible person i mean soon yeah
1: no, no, I, I just to, to add on to that, like the, the best part about them interviewing John Wagner so much yes. in the movie was <laughs> yeah. one, John Wagner might be the most terrifying man I've ever heard speak <laughs> in my life. Um yes. and two, you know, he said Dredd was based on Margaret Thatcher. He was a fascist. Yeah. That's who he was from the get go. Uh-huh. And like you know, Paul, I think you've talked about it a ton on the show. You know, Judge Dredd should not be seen as a hero character. He's mm-hmm. just less worse than the bad guys in Judge Dredd, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and it's yeah. great to hear them acknowledge that and really double down on the fact that they continued to make judge dread worse and worse like someone at some point says the the more right wing we made him the more readers loved him." and it, that's yeah. a combination of like readers either seeing through the the very thin like facade of like oh this is a hero hero character and yeah. understanding the political commentary or two just loving the violence like yeah it's crazy to think that you know Readers weren't getting that, or at least a a large chunk of readers weren't understanding that they were just doing satire on the existing shitty world that they were living in in the 80s, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, again, Wagner, for people that maybe aren't super familiar, John Wagner and Carlos Esguera are credited as creating Judge Dredd. The name existed. Pat Mills had the idea for a character named Judge Dredd, but none of the ideas really stuck. And it wasn't until Carlos Esguera drew Judge Dredd in the helmet in that outfit Mm -hmm. That's like, oh, we have to use this. And then John Wagner came up with the idea of Judge Dredd as we know it. And John Wagner has, throughout the past 40 years, 40 plus years, continually come back to write Judge Dredd. So the character really is his his baby. Other people write yeah. Judge Dredd and write great Judge Dredd stories, but everyone's kind of doing John Wagner's version of Dredd. Yeah. So he is kind of the authoritative voice in a way. So to hear him say that when he writes a Judge Dredd story, he has two points in mind. One is Dredd is the hero. And the more important point is that Dredd is the villain. And that makes so <laughs> much sense. And I think that's why later on in the movie, when they talk about the Sylvester Sloan Judge Dredd film, mm-hmm. which made 2000 D a lot of money, but wasn't a uh, critical success, obviously, right. someone else makes a point uh, that Judge Dredd just doesn't translate to an American audience. Like that level yeah. of nuance, even though there's not much subtlety in Judge Dredd, the idea of the hero being the villain like, just wouldn't track for a mainstream American movie going audience, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and it's funny that, you know, they, they talked about the Stallone movie quite a bit, which I thought was funny, because in my mind, I'm like, that movie doesn't even register on a scale for me. You right. know, like, yes. I would never consider that like, oh, one of the great, you know, comic book movies, even for <laughs> as, as bad as it was, I wouldn't put it on a list, yeah. you know, but then they talked about the Carl Urban movie. And it was funny that they got Carl Urban for this movie, you know, to, yeah. to chat <laughs> for a minute. And, you know, everybody seemed to, to love that movie, because they painted Dread as he was in the book, he was not a good guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He probably leaned more fascist in the movie. Yeah. You know, he definitely wasn't taking shit and he was killing people like at will <laughs> just because he's the fucking judge, you know, like there was no yeah. pulling punches in that movie. And I think that's why, you know, you and I, we we dig that movie one day. We will get to it in 2026 in IRC right. movie exactly. Club, yeah. I'm sure. Um, but still, I, I like that everybody, it was almost unanimous of all the people they talked to. Um, they were like, yeah, this was a much better depiction of dread, even if the movie wasn't as critical of a success as the Stallone movie was. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good point. They really do make a point of saying what worked about the Carl the Urban 2012 Dread movie is it was violent. That's what you mm-hmm. want from a 2000 AD movie more than anything. Right. You know, it was, you know, and it was, it was a story that, you know, there was no romantic lead in the story. It wasn't designed to be a typical blockbuster story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was felt more like a Judge Dread story. And they have Wagner say like, that's pretty much what I had in mind when I write Judge Dread. Like, okay. Again, the authoritative right. voice of the character saying, "Like they got pretty close to it." So, yeah, I do think it's fascinating to hear people talk about that stuff because they even mention at points in the movie other films that that quote unquote weren't based on 2008 D stories, but they clearly oh, yeah. were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's some like they even they make the point that RoboCop is a Judge Dredd movie. Like, right. they're like look what Paul Verhoeven did in RoboCop. That's a fucking 2008 D Judge Dredd story mm-hmm. put on the screen, just in, in anything but the name. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And they even have, like, quotes of RoboCop saying stuff, and they show the panel where Judge Dredd's saying it in the comic. <laughs> it's crazy. You
1: know? Yeah. I mean, it, to the point where Carlos Tuscada was like, he was like, they fucking stole my design in the original <laughs> designs for RoboCop. And then they cut yeah. to, like, a an image that's been released and available where the original RoboCop design looks almost identical to the drawing, like the original drawings that Esquerda did for uh, Dredd, which is amazing. <laughs> exactly. yeah. um, like, they, Paul Verhoeven knew what he was doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's it speaks to the
0: cultural impact of 2000 AD because they even mentioned other films like, well, yeah, this story was clearly ripped off. And I think I think Grant Morrison makes the point that the Transformers films that have come out in the past decade, mm-hmm. that's a lot like the ABC Warriors from 2000 AD. Like that's it's right. not even this not the Transformers from the cartoons or the toys. It's it's this thing, you know. So. The cultural impact of 2000 AD, whether people recognize it or not, is it's there, and it's. I'm glad the film acknowledged it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things I do want to point to in the film that I'm I'm really glad that the movie uh, brought up. You know, they mention the fact that because 2000 mm-hmm. AD was founded as a quote unquote boys' comic, all the creators were men when it started. Mm-hmm. It really was a boys' club. Uh, there really was a lack of women writers. On the assumption that there weren't a lot of women readers and the film doesn't, they do, don't do pull any punches. They say, yeah, that's a problem. You know, there was a sexist mm-hmm. attitude in 2008 AD and they acknowledge it and they have uh, female creators talk about that and the consequences of that. So I'm glad the film acknowledged that kind of stuff too.
1: Right. I mean, the movie went 20, I counted it when I was watching it, 24 <laughs> minutes before there was one woman that they interviewed, which is yeah. Leah Moore, Alan Moore's daughter. Mm-hmm. Which I'm pretty sure that's Alan Moore's daughter. I'm assuming. I don't know, okay, um, yeah. but she spoke for Alan Moore, so I'm assuming she's related to him in some capacity. Oh, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think Cause, of that. because
1: yeah, yeah. they did because they did talk about the book that Moore did, um, which is called Halo Jones, which is about a woman. Uh, inspired, I don't. I don't actually really know, but it was it had a female lead. I think it was one of the first big uh, stories in 2008 that had like a female lead that was more than just like a one-off character. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Moore apparently worked on it for a long time, and I'd never heard of this before. And he was, you know, he couldn't deal with the 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 just brutal deadlines of week to week storytelling, yeah. um, which totally understandable. Like I think at some point in the movie, someone says, "Like this, this magazine choose creators up. It chooses yeah. artists up. Yeah. It chooses writers up. Like it, you're either going to make it or you're not, and it is the most brutal way to get into comics, uh, which I found <laughs> yeah. to be really, really funny. Uh, but of mm-hmm. course, more, more he didn't continue his series, but he had had, you know. Halo Jones' entire character and all of her story written and he was ready to tell it. He just couldn't keep up with those deadlines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, 24 minutes until we actually even got to speak to Leah Moore and uh, which is really uh, kind of unfortunate. But, you know, they did admit it in the book and they they spent a little bit of time talking about how 2008 has slightly shifted towards maybe fixing that, but then yeah. flopped directly towards going like going back to the 90s where things got even worse. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true.
0: Yeah, there there are sections. Obviously, I think they could have expanded. They only have so much time, you know, in a documentary to tell yeah. the whole history. Um that is interesting that they do talk about the Ballad of Halo Jones, because that's a book I've heard of. I knew the name of, um, but they don't really talk about what it's about and But they talked to Neil Gaiman about that story and the fact that Alan Moore had this whole like six-volume story to tell the whole character's life. Mm -hmm. And uh, Neil Gaiman gets very emotional talking about it because he really liked that, that story. Alan Moore kind of basically only got about halfway through it. And then Gaiman talks about one evening where Moore... Basically tells Gaiman, "Here's what, what would happen if I'd finished the story. Here's what Halo Jones would have done. Here's mm-hmm. where the story would have gone." And Gaiman gets very emotional. He says it actually made me cry hearing this whole story, this whole woman's story being told, you know, in comics. And it says it's an absolute travesty that we're never, we're never going to get the whole version of what Alan Moore had intended for the Ballad of Halo Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that they do mention in passing. That I'm like, boy, I got to track that down. There are a few stories that they mention right. that I'm like, boy, I really got to buy that. I really got to read that because I've mainly know Judge Dredd, You know, right. so yeah.
1: I mean, all the stuff that that they talked about with uh, Morrison's Zenith sounded mm-hmm. like some mm-hmm. of the coolest fucking comics I've never heard of before. <laughs> and I mean, this is the thing that blew my mind about this entire documentary. Right? Is like every single big. C- comic british creator that we know was touched on in this movie you know yeah um at least in my mind right like andy diggle who was an editor alan moore who wrote grant morrison who wrote neil gaiman <laughs> who wrote jock who drew dave yeah. gibbons brian Boland, like and the list goes on that's just the ones that i could think of off the top of my head like yeah. it's absurd the number of creators that that go through this book and i know that there are british writers that started either at 2008 or before that more recently that could have been mentioned as well but just weren't in the yeah. stock because it was made in what 2015 2017 so uh, like yeah, or 2014 yeah. excuse yeah. me um so like it's it's crazy and to think like this is both a gateway for folks to break into comics but at the same time it's a mainstay for folks who like i want to do this fucking crazy story yeah. um is wonderful to me um but yeah, yeah it, Totally, total tangent there, but I just, been like, it, I couldn't, like, they just kept listing names, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, yeah. one, I didn't know that guy was British, and two, like, <laughs> insane, yeah. insane to me.
0: Yeah, it, it is funny, because, again, there are a lot of names that I didn't, I only know from reading comics. Yeah, people like Andy Diggle, um, Dan Abnett, like, I didn't realize they were British to begin right. with. You know what I mean? Like right. Alan Grant, I... Alan Grant was writing Batman and detective comics in the uh, late 80s, early 90s when I started reading that stuff. So I've seen the name Alan Grant all over the place. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was British. And then like, turns out he was co-writing Judge Dredd with John Wagner for years and like, oh my right. gosh, and to actually see him. And again, the nice thing is actually hear them in their own words. Uh, as a dumb American, I only think of there being British, Irish, and Scottish accents. There's a <laughs> whole variety of accents that are going right, on in this right. movie that I, I really, really enjoyed. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. I mean, and and on top of that, I mean, beyond like, I think one of the, one of the women that they talked to was from South Africa who would like, I couldn't, I couldn't even hear like, of course you say accents were American, whatever, but like, I couldn't even pick up on her accent except for every, every like fifth word or something. Um, But she was talking about the impact of Judge Dredd and how like the whole story about like mutants and stuff like that. I realize I'm like totally tangent in here, but I thought it was so impactful that they were like. She was so surprised that they didn't censor Judge Dredd when it got sent to South Africa because apartheid was happening. Yeah. And definitely. it was like yeah. the writers on that on the book at the time were like, no, we're we're definitely talking about racism here in the UK. We're definitely talking about racism in the in South Africa because like it was humongous at the time when, when the book mm-hmm. was coming out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just found that again more fascinating that 2008 was just like, why are we pulling any punches? You're never gonna see that here in the United States. Like, rarely do yeah. you get books that are actually about topical things like i honest to god the only book that i can think of that i've read recently that was literally was actually topical was mm-hmm. the book home that came out very recently oh, okay. from image about yeah. the immigrant kid who like gets split up from his mom because of immigration and what other books are you reading right now that are actually about real <laughs> things happening to people like it's fucking yeah. crazy and 2000 yeah. AD is just like yeah hey fuckos let's talk about this shit like right now uh, it's <laughs> always impressive to hear that
0: yeah i always appreciate that again mainly Having read Dread, but when there is a Judge Dread story, they do talk about the story of America. They talk about um, Letter to a Democrat uh, or Letter from a Democrat,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: the you know the story where Judge Dread famously famously says, "Democracy is not for the people." It's not even right. metaphor at that point; it's right there on the surface. It's not subtext. Right. The, the character's literally saying, "Oh yeah, fascism works," and there is no point in having people vote. Like, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. And it's like think about reading that in the context of Margaret Thatcher's England; it really must have hit hard. You know, yeah, um, yeah, they do really make a point of saying early in the doc, like, look, late 70s, England was a mess. You know, there was mm-hmm. uh, the the rubbish collectors who'd collect the trash, uh, you know, garbage men were on strike. So you just had piles of trash piling up on the street. It's just like mm-hmm. you have conservative government and punk rock is happening. It's like culture seemed to be breaking down. And this magazine captured that spirit. And what's amazing that it's still going and still being on the cutting edge in a way because mm-hmm. of that. So. I, I, again, I may maybe double back a little bit. Um, we talked about the, the myriad, uh, who's who of creators that work for it. Yeah. <laughs> what I really liked about the documentary is toward the end, they draw a direct line because it is a direct line between the creator of the 2000 AD and Vertigo comics being founded in the early nineties at mm-hmm. DC. And it literally is Karen Berger going to England or meeting with these people saying, what do you got? Because she knew that there was a hotbed of young, interesting motivated creators creating stuff for 2000 ad why wouldn't you tap into that it's like talent scouting at that point you know and you don't get animal man you don't get swamp thing you don't get you know any of those books without 2000 ad first it's pretty amazing
1: yeah i found that fascinating that the fact that one karen berger is in this movie and then like you know yeah. three years later they fucking shudder vertigo like what <laughs> a, what heartbreaking. a goddamn travesty <laughs> yeah Yeah, but yeah, I I thought that was great. Like to, to hear the fact that she was like, hey, you know, every year for like three or four years, I was coming out every six months to try to just tap new talent, which like, yeah. of course, Pat Mills is just pissed his shit about. Right. He's like, <laughs> right, they're exactly. just poaching yeah. everybody. You know, like I love, you know, the frustration there obvious, you know, makes sense. Like they're stealing some of the greatest talent that 2008 yeah. has to offer. I mean, like Brian Boland, Alan Moore. I mean, like yeah. these are, these are fucking monolith creators here in the United yeah. States. And it's like, they got their start on this magazine and imagine the work that they were doing. And I remember when we were reading judge dread, like, mm-hmm. I was floored by Brian Boland's work. Yeah. To know that it was coming out week to week—that's unbelievable. I yeah. couldn't believe, and of course, Boland couldn't keep up with the pace a little no, bit. No, but no. That, you know, that all makes sense. But still, like, yeah, Berger, your burger going over there and tapping all of this talent is insane to me, and I loved it. Um, because again, like I think you said, like Vertigo wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for some DC execs just happened to stop by, you know, in yeah. London to say, hey, let's meet up. Well, again, it actually predates that a
0: little bit because you had uh, Dick Giordano and Joe Orlando, who are editors at DC in the '80s, going to England and meeting with Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, and that's how you get Watchmen. You know, that's how you get oh, all the right, those, right, 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 right. And that's how Alan—I uh, mean, John Wagner and um, Alan Grant end up writing Batman. So, but but they go to work for the mainstream DC books. What's really interesting is when you get to the sort of the next generation of 2000s creators who have a little bit more freedom, or. Who grew up maybe reading this stuff and like, oh yeah, we can go even further with this stuff. That's where you get Morrison and Peter Milligan, you know, creators mm-hmm. like that, who are saying, Oh, actually, we can do even more interesting stuff with comics. And that's where you get those those vertigo creator owned style books. You know what I mean? Right. That it's really fascinating. And I think it's not too far of a stretch to say the comic book market in America today, or especially the independent comic book market today, including Image. I don't think that exists without Vertigo. So in a sense, you don't really get mm-hmm. comics as we know them today without 2000 AD. And I don't know if people really acknowledge that that often.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, with, with something like Vertigo kind of really setting the precedent of like, you can do more than just superhero books in the United mm-hmm. States. And it's not like, you know, we should probably add a, a big asterisk here to say, like, it's not like people weren't creating independent comics and exactly. all this yeah. kind of stuff yeah. before that. But I think the idea of, oh, these kinds of stories can get published in a major circulation. Yeah, I think maybe was pretty profound or at least surprising to th- that they were selling, you know, and as soon as yeah. you get something like Watchmen selling big numbers, I mean, not only is Alan Moore a big name, but like telling a story that's not just about these classic superheroes that we know about um, yeah. becomes a big deal. And then you can go on and you can have your cyber forces and your spawns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does speak
1: to the
0: unlimited potential of letting people who are passionate about comics, just make comics that they want. You know what I mean? And that's what you get. You get amazing work and you'll always find an audience for that stuff. And I think the reason 2000 AD still exists is because of, you know, there's a demand for interesting cutting edge comics, you know? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll dip in every once in a while, like every other year or so I'll, I'll grab a few issues of 2080 just to see what's going on and see if look mm-hmm. for creators and stuff. And i have a bad hard enough time keeping up with monthly comics. I couldn't imagine reading a weekly book. But it is right. nice knowing it's there. And every once in a while there's a I'll hear rumors like, oh, there's an exciting like st- strip in 2000 AD or this Judge Dredd story is going to be a big one. Better jump on it now. And it is very exciting. And what's nice is that the movie kind of ends on a positive note, saying that the current publisher, Rebellion, they really cherish that aspect of the magazine. You know what I mean? They are making sure that it is cutting edge and contemporary, keeping the old stuff in print so people can always go back and read that stuff. It's really encouraging.
1: Yeah. Uh, Danny in the chat <laughs> is pointing out <laughs> the fact that manga is a weekly thing, and a handful of us on the on the show <laughs> and on the Discord do keep up every week. But it's wow. not like I'm not reading the magazine, the Shonen Jump magazine, month back cover to cover. Like, uh, and I imagine yeah. if you're reading 2000 AD, whether it's you or anybody else, you know, you're not reading it cover to cover. But you know, the fact sure. that you could get a magazine and you could say, oh, well, I finished my Judge Dread for this week. What else is there? What else? You is know, there, and that's yeah. the kind of yeah. thing. But we, you know, I think we've said it a a thousand and one times on the show before, anthology comics don't work in the United States for some reason. (laughs) People just don't, you know, want to try new things. And what jerks aren't they? Like, come on. (laughs) Well, I mean, Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: I think what's interesting now is because you do have, and it's still happening, you still have creators that have worked in Toes and D coming and writing in American comics. I know the name Al Ewing because I remember reading stuff that he wrote in 2008. He wrote Zombo, yeah. which is fucking fantastic. Yeah, Rob Williams is still writing Judge Dredd occasionally, and he's writing some of the best Judge Dredd stories I've ever read. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like that's still happening. And I think knowing that this resource exists might encourage people to go read that stuff. I unfortunately, right when the pandemic uh, hit in the spring of uh, 2020, 2000 AD was actually planning on having a best of 2000 AD book come out in the United States. It was going to be formatted oh. like an American comic. It would feature a classic Judge Dredd story and then some new stories. And they ended up just not doing it because of, yeah. I don't know exactly the logistics, but I was so excited for that book and it's just never come out. Hopefully they can get it back together and do it at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was clearly designed as a way to like, let's get this material in front of American readers' eyes and you know, let people know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to do in a uh, anthology format, but it seemed like that idea was going to work. Unfortunately, it never happened. So,
1: well, fingers oh, well. crossed. Maybe n- this, maybe next year. Maybe things yeah. will get back to you know on track. Yeah, <sighs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, the the thing I you know I will say overall about this this whole documentary, I think you kind of talked about it a little bit with the you know the misogynistic tendencies yeah. of the of 2000 AD. I mean, and they touched on it. Like, I think we, you know, we breezed over it here, but I think, you yeah. know, the movie does spend a lot of time talking about how much. The publisher of 2000 AD and 2000 AD in general kind of fucked up in a lot of ways and how they yeah. tried to make amends for it and they're constantly improving like they definitely don't say like yeah it's gotten better now like they wholly admit that they they really went the wrong direction on some stuff like the the ads that they talked about women yeah. don't get it like oh my god like and this is the <laughs> 90s you know
0: yeah I, I, just, I really yeah, appreciate
1: yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the uh, one thing I'll say is what uh, is I really appreciate that that not only were the 2008 folks like honest like even some of the creators like like even morrison says that yeah. their their stories they were like you know maybe some of these things weren't the best that i would written you know and maybe i went a little <laughs> bit too far i did something too <laughs> wrong but you know um i that's that's just who i was back then and it's, it's not that they don't own up to it it's that they they at least acknowledge like maybe i fucked up back in the day um but i feel yeah. like i've gotten better you know um i appreciated yeah. that about a lot of the people
0: yeah again you're interviewing people that you know had have- time to reflect on it, you know, and then and then, again, they may have they should have had more detail on who's actually what was actually going on, um, because it was a different publisher at the time it was like basically bought up by a, a huge magazine publishing company that didn't understand what yeah. comics were, you know what I mean, and then, then when Rebellion bought it, you know, uh, I think uh, maybe 10 years ago, they really changed their attitude toward the comic, but again if like, people that don't understand comics aren't going to get 2000 AD, and they do mention that you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do think at one point Morrison uh, admits that you know, maybe it was all the rave drugs they were doing kind of influenced <laughs> the stories that they were writing. It was right. say, yeah, maybe it wasn't the best thing, you know what I mean? But right. you know, right. the idea of like, oh, if writing 2000 AD, you got to be cutting edge and pushing the, maybe the limits of what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can go too far in one direction or the other, but. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And I, I do think another thing I want to make sure we mention um, is the, like every other story about comic book history, there's a large section of the Documentary where they talk about fucking over creators, you know, oh and there, <laughs> there's a heart, there's heartbreaking stories about them, the publisher, not understanding the value of original artwork and literally mm-hmm. using original artwork that people drew and colored and using it as like floor mats for people to wipe their blood, their muddy boots on, it, yeah. it's infuriating to think about that happening. You know,
1: dude. I, I think Brian Boland said that he they they just lost a hundred pages of his art, like mm-hmm. they're just not accounted for, or they were stolen. Yeah, and like that makes me want to run my head through a wall. Exactly. You know, like yeah. and and you know, I think they even mentioned that they were using like full color pages, like big eleven by seventeen pages, as yeah. like cutting boards for other yeah. pieces of paper, like. Are you are you fucking with me and <laughs> I think yeah. Mills ad- admitted like they just didn't have anywhere to put it, and it's just one of these things you've got a little tiny office, but I'm like, you yeah. gotta think that you're sitting on a gold mine, or at least send the original pages back to the artists, right yeah, exactly. like wasn't that yeah. Kirby's whole problem is that Marvel just <laughs> kept all of his shit, yeah, right, yeah, and it's wild because again, uh I think it's Alan Grant.
0: Or and, and Alan Grant and Neil Gaiman talk about when you would get your paycheck, there'd be a little thing where you'd have to sign the check to get it cashed. And there'd be oh, a little shit. thing to say, by signing this, I acknowledge, I waive all future royalties. I give oh, away my, my rights to these characters. And that's shit that happened to Schuster and uh, you know um, uh, Siegel and Schuster when they created Superman in 1938. And it was still happening in 1978, 1988. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still mm-hmm. happening. And it's infuriating. <laughs>
1: I think my notes for that uh, for that section were fucking hell. The shit always comes down to ownership <laughs> yeah. of IP. Fucking fuck fuck comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was I was livid in that moment because of course that became a point because of course all of this IP shit becomes a thing where these these publishers think that there's no value in these little throwaway comics in um, the IPs mm-hmm. themselves and they go well we're just gonna own all of it so like fuck yeah. all you guys you're getting a paycheck because there is like this mentality that I think these publishers have of, you know, these are just throwaway stories. You're doing a job. Therefore, it doesn't matter. But the creators themselves point out if you go work at any other magazine, you own the creative IP or the copyright to all of your shit. It's just in comics that this doesn't happen. To which Mm -hmm. I'm like, can we just, Fucking toss this industry out the goddamn window <laughs> and start fresh because we yeah. know what to do right, right? We yeah, know exactly. what to do yeah. right at this point. So just like fuck all these guys.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just like something that's ingrained in the culture. And it just, it's so infuriating to hear these stories because when there's points in the documentary when it's just people talking about, the creative atmosphere and you talk to brian boland and dave Gibbons, saying yeah we would watch mike mcmahon draw and we're just like fuck i gotta top that and it's like this whole amazing artistic freedom and this competition mm-hmm. in a way of art and to think about that not being valued is infuriating yeah. i know that uh recently rebellion did publish a sort of artist edition type book of the brian boland stuff of judge red
1: and F i remember when they were putting Paul. it
0: together I <laughs> when they're putting it together they're like They were sending out emails like, hey, if you happen to own any pages, please, like, we need this artwork. Like, we were Mm -hmm. were missing all these pages. If you're a private collector, if you happen to have this stuff, we need to scan it for this book. And the idea that you have to do that is kind of infuriating, but at least they're, like, celebrating that amazing artwork, you know, in some way. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, well, now I gotta look that up and see. It's probably gonna be like six hundred dollars on eBay. Because yeah, yeah. honestly, at this point, I'm getting sucked into that stuff. I'm with my old age, you know. Um, yeah. Know, maybe you feel this too. You just want to own these giant editions of books, not because your eyes are going. No, no, no. It's because these books are just beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just but, yeah, seeing no, that
0: I, artwork, you know, seeing the, yeah. the craft that goes into it. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's 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 incredible. I mean, like, and again, like the the animation stuff that I talked about in the movie, I I found to be fascinating. You know, some of the yeah. stuff I recognized, some of it I didn't, but it's like all the more reason for me to say, why am I not checking out other things from 2000 AD beyond just Judge Dredd? You know, um, there is some incredible work going on. I mean, just some of the stuff they showed at the end about what modern 2000 AD looks like. I was like, you get this every fucking week with this book? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, it's the same way with the Shonen Jump books. It's the same way with Kadancha's weekly book. I mean, there are comic creators out there that are making just unbelievable works of art on a a breakneck pace. (laughs) Um, And you're like, god help us if they get the time to actually like <laughs> sit back and like spend a month on this you know or yeah. something you know it's it's wild and you know AD has been doing it for you know 30 40 years or 40 years yeah. now so it's 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 crazy
0: yeah i mean again, again they're just showing some of those panels you know you, we mentioned the battle of halo jones of course that's written Alan Moore, but it's drawn by ian gibson and they show some panels and it looks so cool it's like that was one of those, one of those things that when they showed and talked about i was like i got to read that so that's maybe a question I have for you, Mike. Are there any particular stories or strips that they mention that now you want to track down and start reading?
1: Oh, Zenith for sure. Zenith, I had never yeah. heard of that. That looked like that looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, it uh, looks like <laughs> it looks like Morrison unhinged, and I'm <laughs> I'm ready for it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I definitely wanna I definitely wanna just dig to like maybe find those Halo Jones books. I mean, like mm-hmm. there was so much coming at me. I feel like I just don't know what the catalog is like, and I feel like after this doc, I am way more willing to just maybe try some stuff maybe grab a volume of collected editions of of different progs you know and see what it looks like
0: yeah again what's nice is that rebellion does keep pretty much everything in print and they have digital versions of pretty much all the trades and collections so and they're relatively cheap i did look it up you can get the complete collection of the halo jones that was published for like 10 bucks, you know, and it's like three oh volumes my. worth of work. Like, it's great, you know. Um, oh, I know what I'm doing after we finished recording. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they talk about, they talk about that. Halo Jones, for sure, I'm going to track down. Uh, Zenith, again, I I have the first two volumes, but I have not sat down to read it yet, read it yet, mm. and I will do that soon. That's okay. Graham Morrison doing a sort of postmodern superhero thing for 2000 AD with art by Steve Yowell. It's going to be good. They do mention Pat Mills' book uh nemesis the warlock which oh yeah is this wild sci-fi fantasy critique of catholicism and I'm like boy i really need to read that it looked mm-hmm. it's artwork by kevin o'neill and again that's one of the things they show the kevin o'neill panels it's like god that looks oh, so amazing god, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah
1: it looks very much of the time that it came out but yeah. like not in a bad way you know what no. i mean <laughs> yeah
0: it's very edgy and metal in a way
1: that yeah. seems like
0: dangerous but yeah that's exactly the kind of comics i want to read so
1: yeah, 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 yeah um yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, there's no end of stuff to check out. And again, like I said, if you are curious, just chop, hop on the 2000 AD website. Their store has pretty much everything, digital versions for super cheap. So And they usually have pretty uh, frequent sales on that stuff. That's how I bought a lot of the Judge Dredd stuff I read.
1: Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had a great yeah. time reading through those case files. Like, yeah, yeah, honestly, like some, you know, it's it's very it's very up and down. But I mean, sometimes you hit some <laughs> of those stories. Like, I really want to read the the democracy one. I really like. There's yeah. a couple of Judge Dredd stories that I do want to go back to one day, and it's just a matter of finding the time because once yeah. you get into a really good Judge Dread story, like it's unstoppable. Like you you really can't stop reading until it's done. Um, uh, like, yeah, God, yeah. That, I, I will just say, uh, which story were we gonna mention? Sorry, I, I was gonna say, cursed earth, man just just <laughs> fucked me right up of
0: course you like the pat mills judge Dredd. i'm talking about
1: john wagner judge Dredd. i'm talking about the day the law died um no the day the law died i mean <laughs> y- you can't y- i honestly don't know how you top a character like uh was it julius dread or julius judge judge or, caligula judge, yeah judge caligula thank you um like and they showed the panel of him holding the goldfish in the movie and i was like oh my god like what a fucking insane comic book
0: yeah yeah. I mean, again, uh, if anyone's curious, I will go to bat for, you know, if you hop on the complete case files, which basically collect one year's worth of dread story in a whole volume, um, like three or four through about eight, all golden. It's, it's mm-hmm. John Wagner and Alan Grant writing judge dread. You've got Mike McMahon, Brian Boland, Ian Gibson doing our work. It's amazing, amazing stuff. It's mm-hmm. all so good. So yeah, again, no shortage of stuff to dig into. I have another question I, I wanted to ask you cuz I think it's fun to talk about. Which creator's accent surprised you the most? <laughs> like I said there's a myriad of accents,
1: some more um, easier to understand than others. So. Sure. I mean, I've heard Morrison speak plenty of times so I kind of <laughs> wasn't surprised there. You know, I, and speaking of which Mark Mark Miller in this That's they mentioned yeah. him. He's not in yeah. the movie but like no. the idea that him and Morrison were were going like neck to neck and neck writing stories to try to top each other and then they yeah. carry over all that shit to marvel to do the ultimates and new x-men i was like of course it all makes sense <laughs> um
0: I, th- I think they hint at it but there is i think there was a point where they were basically wanted to take over the magazine and be the editors because they're writing yeah, so much yeah. stuff for it and mm-hmm. that was at the point where the magazine was kind of it was close to cancellation is really struggling i don't know if that had been a good move <laughs> um, to, to, for them to do but I mean, it, it is interesting which
1: yeah. is better like a slow crash into the ground or <laughs> straight 90 degrees down into the earth yeah, right
0: exactly. yeah <laughs> yeah i uh morrison i'm used to his accents or their accent so i, yeah, I wasn't yeah. surprised by that um uh, like i said there's a few people i didn't realize were british so hearing alan grant was kind of a kind of fun
1: yeah
0: peter milligan i did not expect P- peter milligan to have that voice no, that was a big either. surprise to me yeah
1: no i mean john <laughs> wagner I never ever in my life would have expected that voice. Once you see the guy, it makes sense. Like he yeah. just is a big, deep, scary voice. Like you do not want to hear that voice in the dark. Um, but man, he like, what a voice. Honestly, I wish I would almost listen to like a creepy narration or something written yeah. or done by him. Because man, he's got a voice that will ju- just ran chills up my spine. I don't know how else to describe it.
0: It is interesting. So if you've not seen the doc, um, John Wagner... And they don't mention this, but fun fact about John Wagner, he was actually born in the United States and he grew up in Pennsylvania, Hmm. moved to Scotland when he was like 12 or 13. So... So he has kind of both, you know, like, so it's not a full Scottish accent. It's just a hint. Um, and he also looks like he should be like working as a grave digger or a truck driver. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just has this big imposing figure in this yeah. big burly yeah. voice. And it just doesn't, he doesn't say a whole lot, but when he speaks, it sounds very authoritative, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, Pat Mills's voice was great. If only because when you close your eyes, it almost sounds like David Bowie is aggressively speaking at you. <laughs> sure. I, I I don't know what it is. Maybe this is just me. I have like one of those weird connective issues in my brain but it looked like david bowie and pat mills could have been like cousins or something like okay, they just sure. had a, a similar shape in weird mannerisms <laughs> that when i think of both when i think of bowie like it connects in my head and i don't know why um
0: but that yeah pat sense, mills yeah. had
1: just he had a voice of like <laughs> like a, a game show host who's like demanding that you call <laughs> to you know you're, call in to to donate or something. Um, It was great. Yeah, I
0: mean, again, him being the first editor of 2000 AD and it being his sort of like baby, I did get some very strong you know stan lee style carnival barker huckster vibes from pat mills he really Absolutely. enjoyed the sound of his own voice yeah, in the yeah, best yeah. way so
1: well and he knew how to sell it right like every <laughs> time yeah. he spoke about it i was like fuck yeah AD! i want to get on this book right now <laughs> like i could see how people could get pulled in by his charisma yeah. um to want to work on the book or invest in it or do whatever you know um he definitely has that about him the same way like you said just like stan lee did
0: yeah it is interesting that they don't interview the true editor of 2000 AD, Tharg the Mighty, the alien that is actually the editor of the strip, which is still a thing, which cracks me up. So,
1: I, my favorite part of the doc was everyone they were just like, we fucking hate the editor page because it's this made up fictional editor, right?
0: It's an alien. Tharg the Mighty, who's going to give you, uh, you know, um, what do they call it? Thrill power with the future Uh socks. So yeah, Uh it's good shit. (laughs) Uh, So I have one last question for you, Mike, and I think it might be the most important question. I know all the listeners want to know. Do you think that this doc, Future Shock, uh, the story of 2008, is worth using a hoopla borrow
1: to watch? Easy, easy, Uh, easy peasy. I totally agree. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that this is, it's similar to comic book confidential right when we right, watch that yeah. for ircb movie club um if you haven't listened to that go subscribe to the patreon get on that that's just my last plug for today um, until we get to the credits <laughs> yeah. honestly it, it's one of these docs that uh, i feel like unlike comic book confidential it didn't try to shy away from some of the bruises i think that 2000 yeah. AD has Yeah, yeah you know there's lot to be said about Com- confidential when it came out and like if you <laughs> made that movie five or six years later it might have been a little bit different tone absolutely but yep. with yep. this one it felt like with the history of 2000 AD they definitely wanted to give a as true as possible portrayal of what 2008D a magazine is. And if they are, if the goal was to get people hyped up about the magazine, they've done it. I think like bruises and all, the it still is a compelling story. And like you said, it ends on like a positive note that makes me excited for the future of comics coming out of 2008 AD. And I think because of that alone, if you're a comics fan, you need to watch this.
0: Yeah, again, I totally agree. I, definitely worth a watch. I've watched it a couple of times now and I, I get you know excited each time I watch it. It is like... Mm-hmm. It's a part of comics history that might not get talked about a lot because I don't think a lot of American readers know what 2000 AD is, other than it's where Judge Dredd shows up every week. Mm-hmm. So, give you a nice history, not just of the magazine, but of what British comics were like at the time. You do get interviews with creators. There are, I, I know at least Carlos Esquera has passed since his film was made. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I might be a few others in there. You know, they're all pretty old. A lot of the early. Uh, editors and writers and creators at 2080 at this point uh to sort of have creators speaking uh in their own words about their creation is always fun to watch yeah and again i i think we talked about there are points in the movie where you're just like oh man fuck comics because it's like the screwing over people <laughs> but at the end you're like fuck yeah comics because like yeah, yeah this is so exciting stuff and it's there's there's unlimited future for it so it's good stuff yeah i highly highly recommend it if you've not watched it yet
1: yeah absolutely
0: well, th- thanks, Mike. I, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. I, like I said, I really enjoyed this film, and I wanted to talk about it on the show. So, thanks for doing it.
1: Yeah. No, you know what? This is this is the kind of shit that like gets me amped up about comics, and it's, it's again, <laughs> cool. it's that side of comics history that I didn't know. And yeah. as much as I'm like, ah, fuck comics history, it's comics now is important. It's like seeing <laughs> stuff like this makes me appreciate the comics now more. If only because it feels like things have only gotten better like we're living in a prime time a golden age of comics people have been yeah. saying it for 20 years can it be true can 20 years be perfect <laughs> yeah. but it's still it's it's definitely better you know and it's yes. because of things like this these influences are still having ripples to today um, yeah. and I think it would behoove any of us to go back and, and check out some of this older stuff if only just to get little morsels and pieces of understanding as to why a creator was influenced um, yeah. I, and yeah. this this movie is is a perfect example of that so Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah man super glad we were able to watch this this is cool. a lot of fun yeah absolutely <laughs> Danny says always force Mike to make more mini minisodes okay <laughs> okay. <laughs> well anyways I guess to wrap this episode up yeah. uh, you can follow us on Twitter you can follow Paul at Oh you can follow me at Mike Rappin and you can follow the show at IRCB podcast on Twitter Instagram and TikTok because we're super cool Ooh. this
0: episode first aired on Patreon and was made
1: possible because of our wonderful
0: Patreon patrons you can join today for exclusive series like the IRCB movie club saga of saga Mike and Paul read Doom Patrol, and much, much more. Do that now at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I think five stars is a fair rating. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. It honestly does help the show and spread the word about IRCB. I
1: love that whenever uh, people read the bit about Patreon, uh, they always add their own show <laughs> oh, or course, their own yeah. favorite show. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm glad <laughs> that you guys are, <laughs> your guys are doing that. Um, Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record. Make sure you check out the link in the show notes. We don't have like a cool short link anywhere, so you got to just click on that link. And honestly, it would help us a lot if you tell your friends and your local comic shop about the show. We'd really appreciate that. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is a cool guy who makes us sound very cool every single week. I want (laughs) to say thanks to Paul for forcing me, you know, bending my (laughs) arm, twisting it to watch this movie. Thanks to Danny, who's hanging out with us live in the chat. It's 2022 now as of this episode's airing, so... So, I hope you had a good, happy new year. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you.